Hey, so great to see everyone. Wonderful, wonderful Wednesday. Welcome to the live cold calling podcast. I'm your host, CEO, that's Chief Energy Officer of LLJR Enterprises. Now, just to refresh your memory, the cold calling podcast is powered by my good friends over at Monster Connect. They leverage technology, they leverage human resource to deliver you, yes, my B2B sellers, they deliver conversations. They deliver connections with decision makers so that we're having those great conversations. Eight to 12 decision making, making conversations every hour. Woo, I'm so choked up. I can't even get the words out. I'm excited about our guests. I've got to slow down. But yes, we are here to support you. The Cold Calling Podcast is here to support you as well. We want to help take you to that next level, whatever that next level is for you. I'm honored, I'm privileged, I'm humbled to welcome today's guest. He's coming in from my backyard. He's in Cary, North Kakalaki. It is an honor, a privilege to welcome my colleague. He's a mentor. He's a guide. He's a role model, but most importantly, I get to call him my friend. He's a sales enablement strategist, a performance coach, a tech founder. The list goes on and on. He's a board member. He's on a mission to empower global sales sales teams to win more. And let me tell you this. He's winning big time himself. Let's give it up and let's give a warm cold calling podcast welcome and round of applause to my man, Mr. Ed Ross. Oh, wow. What an intro, Larry. Like, you know, I'm, I'm confined in this little space here. I need more space. I need more space to run around, get myself going after that intro, man. <laughs> man, you, you deserve each and every piece of that. And really words do not describe the impact that you've had on me. This is just an honor and a privilege. Now, Ed, I know you, yes, but sir. our listeners and our viewers I think they want to get to know you. So I like to start off with a segment that I call who, what, and why. Who are you? What do you do? And why do you do what you do? Yeah, you know, Larry, um, I I love this intro. And, you know, who am I? I I really get to spend my days um, helping organizations think about their strategies of how they take employees from day one to golden parachute. Right. Um, at early part of my career, we, we started out just on the training side. Then we blossomed into sales enablement. And now we're really focused on revenue enablement. So we touch all parts of the organization. So to answer who am I, I, I I've been described as the, the Will Smith pre-slap to many organizations. And what that just allows me to do is I provide our clients with honest feedback. I help them make timely decisions around people, strategies, and how to grow their revenue. Um, what do I do? Well, it's, it spans the globe. Um, some days we're standing in front of audiences delivering keynotes. Other days we're working behind the scenes, helping an organization build out their entire strategy for the next three years, and then putting all the critical pieces in place. And why do I do it? it I, am, I am so lucky to be at this point in my career, Larry, where I get to do what I love. In fact, my family would argue that I probably do it too much because it doesn't feel like work to me, but it certainly may feel like work to them. But um, every day I get to wake up and talk to leaders across the globe in different capacities to figure out what challenges are they facing and what solutions are there to help them solve them. Ooh, now, Ed, I want to dig in because you've talked about the life cycle. And uh, I love how you talk about day one, the golden parachute, really from beginning to end. But I heard training. I heard sales enablement. Now I hear revenue enablement. Walk me through that journey. How did that come about? Yeah, you know, for me, it started back um, when I was in corporate America, worked for a large corporation, and I was on the sales side of the house leading a small team of about 22 folks and had some great success. And I was delivering a uh, one of my teammates had won, uh, you know, rep of the year for our team. And I was delivering her keynote. And uh, at the end of that session, the head of training approached me and said, you know, I've heard some things about you. I'd love to figure out how do we get you onto my team? And so we had some initial conversations about that. And then I was approached by 
one of my mentors who uh, pulled me aside, invited me to a pilot that she ran. And she wrote what we affectionately refer to as the Dear Tiger letter. And in this letter, Larry, she shares that she saw something super special in me that she believed was rare. And she challenged me to trust her to allow her to help me really bring that full circle. Um, and by the way, her name was Connie. Um, she's, she's a great mentor. And she did things, Larry, for me that every leader should be doing, but not enough leaders do. And that allowed me to move into that sales that sales leadership role, sorry, the, the sales training role. We called it sales education. Then from there, in 2013, I set out on my own, started my own company. Actually, it was 2012. Set out on my own, built up my company, and started working with people who knew my name, people that I were colleagues or people that I knew from the industry. And here we are, you know, 2023, still running strong. And the big transition from sales so from sales training to sales enablement for some people, Larry. If we're going to be honest, that was just a title shift, right? It was a new thing to call it. It wasn't really a behavioral shift. Well, our company really took on a behavioral shift and started to create that roadmap of how do you take someone from onboarding to golden parachute. And then in the past two years, we've been hearing loud and clear from our clients of this is great. It's having an impact. We have to quantify it. And we've been able to go back and help our clients quantify what is the impact of that strategy and how is it driving toward those business goals. And that gets us to the revenue enablement part. Wow, I love what I hear and that that dear tiger letter. Oh, that, that sounds impactful. Kudos and I tip my virtual cap to Connie. Now, uh, I need you to spill the tea. I call this spill the tea. We're going to have a couple of those today, but yes, as you can see, I'm wearing a golf polo. I look like I am Tiger Woods. You're looking sharp as can be. Every time that I see you, you're dressed to a tee, dressed for the nines. And I just want to know, have you always been a sharp dresser? And I also want to know, I, I've, I've noticed this, you've always got the, I think it's a flower, the button. Yes. Is there a significance behind it? Because it's certainly memorable. Yes, yes, yes. So, you know, I I, I, I get my sense of style from two things. Um, in a previous life, um, I, I was involved in the fashion industry for a little bit as a, you know, some freelance hobby stuff. Um, but I had a relative in my life who was always well-dressed, even on in casual events. He was always well-dressed. And there was something that just stood out about him. Everyone noticed him. And it was just something that I thought was a unique way to stand out. And so I, I'm most comfortable when I'm dressed, right? Most comfortable. Um, it wasn't until a few years ago that I actually started buying jeans and wearing jeans because I was usually in slacks and a polo. Um, and then as far as the flower, you know, the flower is, is a really deep personal story. Um, Back in 2010, I lost my sister to a heart attack, and um, she was at she was 41 years old, and she loved flowers. And so to this day, every time I wear one of my blazers, um, I wear a flower in remembrance of her. We grew up; we were really close to each other, only three years apart. And losing her was such a um, was such an interesting moment, Larry, for me because it helped me understand that it is okay to have emotions and be emotional about things that matter to you. And so this is just my daily reminder. As I said, it's a reminder for her, but it's also, it allows me and reminds me to show up as my authentic self and just, you know, if the emotions come, allow them to come. Wow. If you don't mind sharing your sister's name. Yeah. Her name is Charlene. Charlene. Oh man. Sorry for your loss. And what a beautiful way to honor Charlene. Thank you. Man, I appreciate you sharing that. I never knew. And wow, that, 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 that that's touching. That is touching. Oh, well, I appreciate you joining us. And I know that you are a sales enablement strategist. I'm curious, as you think about sales enablement, revenue enablement, what have you seen as sort of the evolution? I know you said right now you're hearing from your clients that they want to quantify. They want to pretty much say hey, they want you to, hey, you got to show us the money on this ROI. What's been that transition that you've seen? And congratulations on 11 years. That's big time. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we're still here. And, you know, it's, it's really because of the clients that we work with, Larry. We work with a great set of clients. We're, they're the type of clients I tell them every time I deliver a program to any of our global clients, 
I always put my personal cell phone on the board and my personal email. And I do that because I want them to know that for us, this is not just an event. We're actually doing something that's going to help them achieve the goals that they set out for in the beginning of the year or achieve the objectives that we agreed upon. And so that evolution has really been about moving away from this theory of training being butts and seats, like we've got to do it, check the box, move on. And what we've done is we've actually helped clients adopt not only training, but then the reinforcement elements that come along with that, such as coaching and real world application and creating cohorts that allow the participants to come back and share with us what's working in the field. When they tried that, that, that methodology that we described or that process that we built, where are they getting hung up and where are they getting stuck? So we've moved away from that 31 flavors of the month. You know, back uh, when I was in sales, we used to say, if you can make it to day 31 after training, everybody will have forgotten what the training was about and no one's reinforcing it, right? And so uh, we really moved away from that 31-day flavor of training and built what we believe, when we like to call them immersive learning experiences. It's where you go through the experience, but then there's reinforcement, there's coaching, there's engagement, there's communication around it. And the ultimate goal, Larry, is to help them drive behavior change so that it becomes muscle memory. And now they're doing those things without having to pull out, you know, uh, the the e-learning module or, you know, one of the resources or tools that we give them. Oh, I love that. I love that. It's getting hot in here, Ed. I don't I don't know what's going on, but uh, <laughs> come, come on now. You know, you know, I had to represent. Yes, and, and you and I met, I want to say it was circa 2016 is 17. Talk to me about core because I I know that you've been you you got something special that you're building at core AI. Yeah. Do tell because I'm I'm trying to get the core results. It it got a little bit tighter. I think I put on some LVs, but woo. Yeah, well, we're going to have to get you some new swag. So make sure we connect over the next week. Um, the Core Results brand that you have on, that was that's a legacy company that has been sunset. But we started that again, going back to those clients that said to us, we're in the field traveling with our reps and we're trying to figure out how do we actually capture what's happening in the field? And so we created the Core Results. Um, and at that time, it was a digital scorecard that allowed managers to complete something when they were in the field during their field travel or field rides. Um, when we, Ironically, when we built that company, it was great for its time. But then we started to hear managers say, well, I've got a team of 11 or 12. As you know, leaders are outnumbered typically 11 to one. So I'm with one person, but there are 10 other people that I can't use this on. And so we decided to sunset that, that particular product and that company um, and as we started to do more research around what managers were looking for, what we heard loud and clear was, I have so much on my plate. And as a leader, I was promoted because I was a high performer in a previous role, yep. but I wasn't necessarily prepared to be a people leader. And so I'm looking for tools that help me shorten that gap and reduce that trial and error period so that I'm more effective with my team. And so we started to really dig into that. And that's when we created our, our new platform, which is called Core AI. And Core is a conversations analytics platform that provides leaders with insights on behaviors that are happening with sales opportunities and their sales team. And then we provide those insights so that they can lead with confidence. And what I'd like to say, Larry, is a platform like this that we're on today, a video-based platform, if Core was running in the background, at the end of our conversation today, you and I would both receive not only the highlights from the conversation, but what are the most logical next steps so that we're focused. And you, as my leader, you would get additional insights around things that you can do to encourage me to help me focus and move this opportunity through the sales process. So we're really embracing the fact that AI, I love the buzz that it's getting here, um, you know, in, 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 in today's time in 2023. The great news was we started this in 2019. So pre any of the you know names that you're familiar with, we saw what was coming. And thankfully, we had a team of advisors um, that really got behind us and, and, and empowered us to go ahead and build a platform. So we're super excited to get that in the hands of users to help more managers have great conversations with their employees. Core AI. I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Now, you've mentioned you, you've said this word a few times behaviors, actions, and we're the cold calling podcast. Yes. I want to know 
what are you seeing when it comes to cold calls? I don't know if Allen Iverson hopped in the room, but it sounds like you're a big proponent of practice. We're talking about practice so that we can be ready, as you told me before, when the lights turn on. Yes, sir. Yeah. Give me the rundown on what you're seeing around cold calling. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing about that Allen Iverson clip is that that was just a small portion of the conversation. And I love that because it also reminds us that as sales reps, we have a responsibility and a due diligence to make sure that that practice is what we're going to put in play. It's not just the sake of you know checking the box to say that we showed up, we did it, read through the script. It's can you deliver it? when the script is not on the screen? Can you deliver it when the PowerPoint goes off? Can you deliver it when technology, as much as we love technology as a technology company, when technology fails you and the slides aren't advancing? Have you practiced it so much that it is that muscle memory that we talked about and that's what drives the behaviors. That allows you to use your technology even if the screen is frozen. It allows you to deliver a message that helps you understand what the customer's challenges are and then determine if your product can solve them. Because when you, you know, one of the things that I always tell my sales team back in the day was, you know, when you when you're selling hammers, everything looks like a nail, right? No matter what the problem is, you're like, well, we've got a solution for that. I found that my best customer relationships often may start with the customer coming to us with an idea of what they want and me helping them understand that that is not actually going to solve the problem. Sure, you can you can hit it with a hammer. You might drive the nail in a little further, but that's a rusty nail, right? That nail is not going to hold. What you want to do is you want to remove it. So when sales when sales uh, reps or uh, BDRs are preparing, I want them to practice like they plan to play, right? And if that means partnering with a teammate, if that means you know maybe calling up some of your C or D list customers and using that as practice time before you go to your A or B list, that's okay too because you'll learn things in those conversations that allow you to transition and transfer that to your A and B customers at a pace that's faster than if you were just going through scripts. I love it. I love it. Now you're, you're out there. I see that you're out there moving and shaking. You see a lot of stuff. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you're seeing from sales professionals, sales leaders, revenue leaders? What what are some of the, We'll, we'll call them opportunity areas for improvement. I'm not going to say anyone's making a mistake, but what are some of those biggest gaps that you're seeing right now? Yeah. You know, one of the biggest gaps we're seeing, Larry, is that many people are still operating in these silos. We hear about them. We know that they're not beneficial, yet somehow people remain in these silos. They just can't get themselves outside of those silos. And those silos may be only the BDRs are going through the training and the leaders are not. Yet the leaders expect to see a certain behavior, there's our word again, in the field, but they haven't been through the training themselves. They haven't experienced it. So they can't make that connection. Or at the senior leadership level, maybe they're paying for the training, they're sending everyone, but all they know is you know the line that they signed off on and what they expect out of it. And so we like to make sure that we create a role and responsibility matrix and we help everyone understand what that looks like. Maybe at the executive leadership level, it's all around communication and change strategy, right? At the manager level, that's around coaching and reinforcement. And at the rep level, it's not only going through an immersive experience, but it's also sharing what you're seeing in the field, what challenges you're coming up with. And that allows us to make sure that we're delivering content that's real, that's relevant and rewarding, right? Like at the end of the day, I, you know, I, I, many of my friends, as we're talking about things, you may hear someone say, oh, I got to go to training tomorrow. And I'm like, easy, easy. Right. Remember, I serve this industry. But that's the emotion that many of us have when we think about training. We think about it as this heavily PowerPoint driven event where someone is sharing only their perspective of what's happening. And what we've done is we, we can include PowerPoint in our sessions. Some of our programs do. Some don't. But it's really about making sure that we take people on that journey of practicing what we expect them to put in action. So what we just described earlier in our, our, our conversation about SDRs and BDRs, you know, we really give them a chance to put that into play with some guardrails around them so that they can try things and not be ashamed of the end result. If it doesn't work out, then we go back and we hit it again, 
get them to the point where they're successful. And now they've got at least the foundation to take back to their customers. Ooh, I love it. That's hot right there. To all of our listeners and viewers right now, please submit any questions you have for Mr. Ed Ross. Any questions that are on your mind, you've got a seasoned veteran, a professional, an expert on the bleeding edge of what's going on in sales enablement, sales training, revenue enablement, and ultimately driving business growth. Now, you talked about the silos, and you shared earlier how it sounds like you're taking a holistic approach to all aspects of the organization. I'm just curious to know, how do you break down those silos and bring everyone on the same page within an organization? Yeah. You know, for us, Larry, it starts, it's twofold. Number one, as I said to you earlier, we really take on that perspective of being your best friend. So when we're listening to the challenges that you have, we often push back, right? We, you know, many times someone will come to us again with a solution that they have in mind. And when we start digging into the root cause, we're able to quickly determine that even if we gave them the solution that they're asking, the problem is still going to exist. And so we ask them to trust us enough to take that pushback and to listen to where we think they would get the better ROI. And after that initial engagement, whether that's a strategy session or actual workshop or some type of um, uh, collateral that we create for them, they start to see the movement toward their goal. And that's where it becomes this closer relationship where they call us back. And usually it sounds something like this, like, I wasn't really sure this was going to work, but the feedback that we received was so overwhelmingly positive or this was impactful or we're seeing better results that we want to figure out what we do next. So it's about that collaboration. How do we create that uh, for them? The other way to break down silos is really sometimes you just have to step back and help people realize where their organization is. The goals that you set out for yourself, you believe they're achievable, but are you willing to do the things that will get you there? And I liken it back to January 1st of everywhere, every year, Larry, we all make these grandiose plans of what we're going to do, how many days we're going to hit the gym, what are we going to avoid, what are we going to add? And then six months later, when you look back at that, can you honestly say that you put in the work to get there, to get those things that you want? Whether it's a personal goal, whether it's a developmental goal, whether it's a financial goal, or whether it's a community goal, have you done the work to get there? And so we like to step back and and provide them with the tools that they can measure on their own so that it doesn't feel like big brothers looking over your shoulder trying to tell you what's right and what's wrong. They come to their own conclusions. And that's been part of our secret recipe, giving them what tools. I tell all of our clients this, our job is to work. my, My role is to work my team out of a job. We want to give you everything that you need so that you're successful, so you're not relying on us. We're always here to partner with you and support you, but we don't want you to rely on us. Oh, I love it. I love it. And one of the key words, you you dropped a lot of great gems. You talked about that collaboration, the collaborative uh, integration and spirit. Now, I, I want to take that collaboration and talk about the power of community. I've, I've been blessed to be a part of a hype squad with you and some others. We had Cynthia Barnes earlier on an earlier episode. But what are you seeing in terms of the power of community, not just within an organization, but also having that sense of community outside of whatever organization that you work for? Yeah. You know, today, Larry, Community is everything. When you think about the journey that we've been on for the last four years and all the different twists and turns and curveballs that we've had to dodge, many of us feel like we're playing dodgeball, right? Like the moment you think you're safe, something catches you off guard. Community allows you to surround yourself with other leaders, peers, colleagues that are experiencing some of the same things. And what I've discovered is that that reminds us that we're not going through this alone. Oftentimes, as an entrepreneur, as a high performer, or as a leader within the organization, it can feel as if the journey that you're on, you know, you've set out with your knapsack or backpack and a couple of meals in it, and you're just walking, trying to get to the destination. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing like having someone else join you on that journey that can be there for conversation and to be supportive. And I'll tell you, we had a great session with an organization about two weeks ago. We're talking to a group of leaders, and of this group of leaders, Four of them, uh, the four leaders, two of them, all high performers historically, 
two of them were having a down quarter. And as they were talking about some of the challenges, it was beautiful just to step back and to hear them support each other and remind each other that we are worthy. You deserve to be in this role. You're going to turn it around. And your team, more, most importantly, they're counting on you to help them get through this tough moment, right? And that's the beauty of community. Again, so, you know, what we do can feel lonely, but community reminds us that it's bigger than us and that other people are experiencing similar things. And together we can then share our experiences to figure out how do we overcome those challenges, curveballs, um, or, you know, avoid being attacked by the, you know, the, the uh, proverbial dodgeball. Oh, I love it. I love it. And I just want to remind all of our listeners and viewers, please connect with Ed on LinkedIn. Ed is active on LinkedIn. Talk to me about your strategy. What, what is your LinkedIn strategy? Yeah, for, for us, it is just about sharing things that we experience. Uh, you'll get a mix of insights from the business across two companies, Michigan and Manchester, affectionately known as M&M. You'll get insights from core, from a leadership perspective, what's happening with um, you know, leadership today, coaching and reinforcement. And then you also get to see the other side of Ed Ross, which, uh, you know, the numbers show, Larry, people want to get to know more about Ed Ross. So I'm mixing in more of that content, just sharing what my day-to-day life is uh, with my family, my children, my spouse, um, you know, my community, just to show that we all can step away from what we love without, you know, taking away our passion. Um, and we can still be involved in other things. So I'm sharing a little bit more of that um, as I, you know, you know, share a little bit more about who I am in and outside of the business with link on LinkedIn. Oh, I love it. I love it. Now, uh, this is new to me, but I need to know the wave. <laughs> Why should the wave be a part of every organization's culture and fill me in? I don't I don't know what the wave is. I mean, is it at a at a ball game where everyone's doing the wave? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, Larry, the wave used to be back in 2020 when we were all on Zoom and you had that awkward moment at the end of the call, right? You're like, what do I do with my hands? And everybody just started waving. Um, but, you know, I really talk to organizations about the phenomena that you explained that happens at big events, maybe a sporting event, maybe a music concert. Um, you know, when you think about the context of the wave, most people don't take the time to realize that the wave is typically started by one person. That one person believes so deeply that their passion can spark 100,000 people to follow their same behavior. And so that person grabs their popcorn, puts it in a holder and jumps up, throws both hands up and yells, hey, and no one moves, Larry. They sit back down, they rethink the strategy. This time they stand up and they yell and they jump with one hand, yay! And before you know it, two people over in the next session jump up and go, hey! And then that person sits down again, pops up, popcorn goes flying in the air. They throw both hands up again and they scream even louder. And as they do that, it becomes contagious. Usually people are looking and they're pointing and they're snickering and laughing. Hey, look at that over there. Ready, ready, ready. Here, it's coming our way. And they're sitting on the edge of their seat, waiting for that momentum and that energy to reach their session. And Larry, when it reaches their session, they put their popcorn in a holder, they throw their hands up, and they yell, yay. And before you know it, you have 100,000 people waiting for their moment to get involved, to catch the wave, to be part of something that's so unique. And that's an organization, that's an opportunity for organizations to adopt a similar approach and strategy. What is it that we can do to engage our employees, our leaders, our advisors to be part of what we're doing and the direction that we're going with our organization's culture? And sometimes that requires one person being bold enough to put their popcorn down for a moment and stand up and scream with excitement and passion to get everybody else fired up. So that's the opportunities that organizations have. And as crazy as it sounds, Larry, um, the next time you go to a big event, I'm gonna challenge you to look for that one person. And you just watch how the momentum builds and how everyone does it. And what I love most to close the story out is, once they have the wave going, it just circles around the stadium over and over again, right? 
there's no more thought. Everyone is just enjoying the moment and it's something that we can all remember. So organizations, I challenge you to use this as a strategy to figure out what can you do to drive excitement and engagement with your team, your, your leaders, your employees, and then how do you keep that momentum going once you have it started? Oh, I like that. The big momentum, the energy, it starts with one. I'm not going to look for that one person. I'm going to be that one person and I'm going to text you to let you know, hey, I was that one. Hey. (laughs) Yeah, remember, Larry, you got to do it at least three times. No one ever does it. No, it never works on the first time. People are just, you know, too involved in the game to catch it. But like I said, three seems to be the magic number. That third time, you can get other people to join in. And as I said, that momentum just builds. That's awesome. Now, Steve, you said people want to be a part of something. He also said Slim Shady when you mentioned Eminem, Michigan and Manchester. Yes. Where Michigan and Man, where did that name come from? Yeah, Larry, you, you, man, Larry, you didn't prep me for all the great questions, but I have the great answers. So in 2012, I was downsized from corporate America. And I remember on my drive home, I was thinking about my next move. We had a young family. I was trying to figure out what to do. And um, when I got home, I said, you know, I'm going to start this training company. And um, I I, I, want to do this full time on my own. I never want to be in a position again where someone else controls my family's well-being. And as I started to think about the names that we're going to use at the time, we lived on man. We lived on a street called Manchester. And I said, okay, we're going to have an office on Michigan Avenue. We lived in Chicago at the time. So if anyone lives in Chicago, listening from Chicago, you know the, the famous Michigan Avenue. I said, we're going to have an, an office on Michigan Avenue. So we're going to call the company Manchester and Michigan, because that will always remind me of this moment of us starting the company and where we're going. Well, my family didn't really like the, the sound of Manchester and Michigan. So I, I got some pushback um, and I said, well, let's turn it around. How about we call it Michigan and Manchester? You know this, Larry, back from the old days, I believe it was Covey who said, start with the end in mind. Um, and so I said, every time I hear this name, every time I see it, every time a client says it, it will remind me of having the, um, the guts, the grit to build something from scratch. And as you said earlier, here we are, you know, 11 years later, uh, our customers, some still call us Michigan and Manchester. Most of them call us Eminem. Um, and so it's, it's been a great journey. But every time I hear someone, uh, you know, use our name or, or, you know, hosts like you ask me about it, it's great to go back and revisit that moment um, and, and look at how far we come. And just, you know, we're excited about where the organization's going. Man, that's super exciting. Now, speaking of community, Steve was asking, where do we find these communities? I join communities here on LinkedIn. I also use Facebook and Reddit for specific verticals. Any guidance or advice on where to find these collaborative communities? Yeah, you know, Larry, you said it earlier. We're really fortunate that we all live in the same area. So we have our hype squad. And I like to tell people, start local first. These online communities are great to have. They are great resources, but sometimes you just need to be face-to-face with other people. And again, when you look back on what we've overcome over the last four years, the ability to be face-to-face is a blessing that we can't take for granted. And so I encourage people to start local. Find a, a couple people who are in your neighborhood who share the same passion around your profession and, you know, grab coffee, grab lunch, start conversations. That's a great way to start. Second, I think these social communities are great. And then third, I'll wrap it up by saying, if you partner with the right organizations, more organizations are starting to form these communities within the organization. So we do something in our essentials essentials program. We actually build cohorts and those cohorts work together over a defined period of time around a specific element uh, from one of our, our programs. And what that allows them to do is, Again, going back to some leaders we worked with recently is at the end of it, they always say, well, we can't believe this is ending. Can we extend it? Right. So we have to be very careful about that. And our way to get them to extend it is to say, we're happy to support you. We'll get back to you on what that looks like. But what are you all willing to do collectively? And this group of leaders that we worked with immediately said, one of the leaders said, I'm going to go in the calendar right now and I'm going to set up periodic check-ins for all of us on this call. I'm going to do it right now. Let's get it on the calendar and accept it. 
45 minutes of just checking in with each other. So Steve, the answer to that is start local, leverage your communities that are your digital communities. And then again, look for programs that create that or offer that element of community as well so that you don't feel like you're going through these experiences on your own. That's powerful right there. And I love that three-step process, starting local, social, digital communities, and then within organizations. Now I wanna know, you work with many, many, plenty of organizations. How do you measure the success of revenue enablement strategies? What, what does that look like? Yeah, so for us, Larry, we walk through a process where we analyze that organization's goals easy to find, right? They're usually, you know, in some type of PowerPoint slide that has been passed out at the national sales meeting, never makes it home, the paper version of it, but then we all have the digital version. Then we sit down and we challenge them to think about, okay, that goal that you have, what are the top three, th three strategies, excuse me, that you need to implement to work toward that goal? Let's talk about those top, top three strategies. And then from those strategies, Larry, we take it two levels deeper. We then ask ourselves, you know, in the old days, people would always talk about skills, right? Like skills was the industry buzzword. Well, we like to talk about what are the competencies that we need to have, but more importantly, what are the proficiencies that we need to have? And I liken that to driving a car, Larry. You can get a license many ways in many countries. Some, some of them is just a written test. Some it's a written test and a driving test. But if you want to be a highly skilled driver, on, you know, in NASCAR or F1, there's a number of certifications that you have to go through. It's not just can you make the turn, it's can you make the turn at 80 miles an hour. And so when we think about that, it's really about how do we look at those strategies that we've identified? What do we need to know and be highly skilled at? And at what level do we expect that skill to show up? And that's been the way that we've helped clients measure their return on investment. If we can get all of the organization to 85 plus, you know, percentage on a proficiency scale, what does that do to our revenue? And then we track that over time. So we're not just, again, you know, trying to get butts and seats to deliver a training program. We're hand in hand tracking those results and then going back and comparing it to the strategy that we built. Oh, I like that impact, having that impact. And I like that distinction between competencies and proficiencies. Now, I am curious because you've been on both sides. From your perspective, what's the difference between sales training and sales enablement? Yeah, yeah. Sales training is literally the act of putting content in front of someone to consume with the hopes that they're gonna apply it, yep. right? We go through this training program, eight hours, we want you to go out, try it, tell us how it works, right? There may be some elements of reinforcement and coaching. Sales enablement breaks down those silos that we talked about earlier, Larry. And we don't just look at sales training, right? We think about, okay, well, what does this mean for marketing content? How do we create alignment between sales and marketing through enablement? How do we then create alignment between sales, marketing, and operations through enablement? How do we tie sales, operations, marketing together with legal and compliance, right? Again, it's through enablement. When we think about the holistic approach of sales enablement, it's breaking down those silos. And if we can't break those silos down, how do we build connecting tunnels that allow us to move between those silos? Because listen, as you said, I've been on both sides of this and some organizations, the silos are just you know, too strong and too deep. They're not going to be broken down. So we have to think about how do we actually create pass-throughs that allow us to collaborate with someone for marketing. So before you roll out a training initiative, have you had a conversation with marketing to talk about the tools and resources that are available to support this initiative? Have you talked to finance to figure out what types of goals and milestones are they looking for from the initiative? And have you talked to legal to figure out how do we stay out of, you know, I tell everybody this, how do we all stay gainfully employed, right? And stay out of situations that might get us uh, that phone call or that email that says they need us upstairs. So the goal is, again, just to create, you know, take those silos. If we can't reconstruct them, then how do we create those pass-throughs that allow us to move and integrate with all of those uh, different entities within an organization? I love it. I love it. What a great distinction. Now, I know we got a surprise that's about to come out, but before we get to the surprise, hold up, wait a minute. 
I want to know if I'm a SDR, BDR, I'm sitting here, I'm tuning in today, and I just made my 107th call of the day. Yeah. My question to you, Ed, is help. What should I be doing? I, I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. I'm smiling and dialing. I'm getting hung up on. What advice do you have for me? I'm in seat. I'm I'm that button seat. And I'm just banging my head on the phone trying to have success. Any any tips, tricks, advice for me right now? Yeah. You know, Larry, let me say this. I've been there, right? I know what it's like to have a 125 call quota every day. I've been on both sides of that. Um, so I can tell you what worked for me and hopefully it will work for the viewers. I would say outside of practice, which we've already talked about, it is really about planning and preparation. And I found that in my career, the more I prepared, the, the, the more I was, the more I planned, the better prepared I was. And the better prepared I was, the better I performed. But I had to give myself that window to do the prep work. So when I started thinking about, okay, I'm at 125 for the day. Maybe I've already overachieved my goal from a revenue perspective. Who do I, who should I talk to tomorrow? What are those calls that I need to make tomorrow? And then I started thinking about who do I need to follow up on? And those follow-ups could be clients that adopted our product or solution or service. That follow-up might've been someone that hung up on me, right? They hung up a couple of days ago. Well, I'm going to circle back and I'm going to, I'm going to determine how do I create value in that first 30 seconds of our conversation. Too often, we've got that script that was beautifully written by somebody, maybe in marketing, maybe in sales, maybe it was last year's high-performing rep, but it sounds like me, 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 and that's what the customer hears. How do we actually center our customers or our clients in that first 30 seconds of the conversation and empower them? to dictate where the conversation goes, as opposed to us only following our script. So I would say plan, prepare, practice, and execute, right? You've got to be committed to those things. And on your best days, when you're ahead of quota, you want to continue to plan so that on your, your not so great days, when you're a little bit behind, you know that you're putting in the work and it's going to show up. Ooh, you didn't have to hurt him like that. I mean, you just dropped the mic right there talking about getting ahead, following up, creating value in those first 30 seconds. Make sure y'all are listening closely. Ed knows what he's talking about. Practice, preparation, planning if you want to maximize your performance. Now, I want to maximize we got a secret. You, you're about to unveil a secret. And uh, hold on. Drum roll, please. <laughs> Spill the tea part two, Ed. I want to know, what is this special announcement that, uh, that you're going to hear here first on the Cold Calling Podcast? The mic is all yours. Yeah, you know, Larry, when 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 you and I agreed to have this conversation, I paused all the other things that I was going to do um, because I wanted to make sure that we shared this announcement here. We're so passionate about these conversations. And as I told you my story about Connie, who was impactful in my life, we actually went out and, and, and invested in what we call a coaching conversations pod. And this is a portable unit that will allow employees across the country to step into the coaching conversation pod and share their reflection and their gratitude to the coach, mentor, or advisor who has had an impact on their career. And, you know, for us, again, that goes back to Connie, who not only was she an advocate, you know, she checked in. And recently we had a conversation, Larry, I'll, I'll share this because um, I don't think she'll mind. I said to her, you know, Connie, I want to thank you for everything that you did for me. You know, I still have your email that you sent and I read it on my toughest days. And Larry, she responded and said, you know, Ed, you're welcome. But I simply picked up the mirror that was at your feet and held it up in front of your face so that you can see your potential. And you think about how powerful that is, right? As coaches, we have an opportunity to grab the mirror and simply remind people of how great they are. And so we wanna launch a campaign to get more people 
to, to provide more people, excuse me, with an opportunity to say thank you to that coach. Maybe you're like me and you wanted to do it, but circumstances changed, you lost contact. Well, we're now going to tour the country with our coaching conversation pod at conferences, at major events, and invite people to step in into a confidential area, create that thank you, and then at the end of that event, we'll actually provide you with a video that you can forward to that special person. Come on now, Coaching Conversations Pod. I, I, I got I got to give you your flowers while you're here because your your sense of awareness, community, and care is next level. And for you to pass that along, what Connie shared with you by picking up that mirror, oh, that is unbelievable. And I just, hey, Ed, we want to support you. I got two questions. Number one, where do we connect with you? And number two, I know you're not supposed to stack questions, but I'm a rebel. Where can we connect with you? Number two, how can we support you in core AI, in the coaching connection pod, in everything that you're doing? Yeah, yeah. So, Larry, I, I love stack questions. Um, let, let me say this. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. That is my primary platform. And we are starting to expand our platforms. Um, so connect with us on LinkedIn. That's a great source to get all the places that we'll be and what we're going to do next. I'm happy to connect with folks. And honestly, I love what I do. So if there's anything that I can do to support any of the listeners, any of the viewers that are here today, feel free to you know write a letter, drop a note, slide into the DMs. Um, let me know what you're working on and I'll do my best to get back to you within a reasonable amount of time. Number two, um, how, how can you support us? We've got a lot of initiatives. Number one, I would say, start the wave. Be the individual in your organization that shares the impact of coaching. What the impact that it's had on you and the impact that it had, it can have on someone else. And if you're a leader today, take a moment and ask yourself, who is that person that you would wanna thank? And if you looked at your team, would they want to create that message for you? Number two, as the coaching pod starts to travel around the country at events, we're going to be at the Sales Enablement Society meeting coming up October 2nd through the 4th in San Diego. That's also a brand new announcement. That will be the premiere of our coaching conversation pod. We invite you to step into the pod and share that, 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 that moment of gratitude. Give that person their flowers while you still can. And as that unit moves around the country, we invite you to do that. And then third, I would say we're, we're going into beta for our, our core AI platform. We're looking for beta users that are willing to have a confidant in the form of Connie, our technology, that will provide them with insights on coaching conversations that they're having and allow us to help support you and your organization increase your forecast accuracy so that you're, you're confident in those numbers when you're standing in front of the board have great conversations to move your opportunities through your sales process. And then lastly, create the culture that we know and love, which is coaching. Wow. And Ed, you're, you're having an impact. Steve talked about spending three minutes per cold call, vetting the customer, changing his 125 calls in the 75 better qualified calls leads. We want to support you. I love this. So uh, Sales Enablement Society in early October in San Diego, looking for core AI beta users, coaching conversations pod coming to a city and an event close to you. Connect on LinkedIn, the primary place. Ed, I got to ask you, I'm going to stack one more time. <laughs> what is your one word for 2023? As you think through, we're coming up on nine months uh, of the year. What is the one word that you would use to describe this year? And then number two, I'm going to let you share a parting thought. What, what's that final thought that you want our listeners and viewers to really ooh, hold on to as they go about up-leveling their skills? Yeah. Word of the year, Larry, for us is seamless. seamless. No matter what role you're in, there's so much being thrown at you and so much being asked from you that it needs to be seamless if we wanna maximize our efforts, right? How do we get the best? How do we optimize our performance? It has to be seamless. 
And so as we think through strategies that we're rolling out for the team or new initiatives, ask ourselves, have we put in the work? Have we used those three Ps that we talked about earlier, right? To ensure that this is seamless, that it fits into the behaviors that we want. And then the last part, you know, Larry, I would go back and say it's very much in line with what we've talked about today is that leaders and organizations are often, they often feel like they're being set up to fail because of the amount of pressure that they have on them. And that trickles down to their team. And because it trickled down to their team, they take those things home with them and impacts them in all corners of their life. And so, you know, my encouragement to to everyone that's listening today is to step back and realize that you are not your wins. You are not your losses. You are not the things that happen to you. You are who you decide you are. And that's defined by your behaviors, your action, and your character. So my takeaway is don't let those things that come our way in this crazy game of curve dodgeball, you know, get you off track. Remember who you are. You're not defined by those things. You're defined by who you are, the things that you do and how you, how we treat each other. That's an amazing word to end it. And Ed, I can't thank you enough. Very, very rarely am I at a loss for words, but words can't adequately adequately express just how grateful and thankful I am. You've been a blessing to me and thank you for being a blessing to our listeners and our viewers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Before we wrap, I do want to give a reminder to all of our viewers and listeners, those that are live and those that are checking out the recording on the replay, make sure to join us next Wednesday. Hey, it's the start of a new quarter, new month, new quarter, October the 4th, Q4. Yeah, it's that fourth quarter. We'll see you same bad place, same bad time, one o'clock Eastern, 10 o'clock Pacific, our next guest. You don't want to miss this one. All the way from Germany, a great friend of mine. I actually just got to meet her in person back on June 15th. She rolled through town for my birthday. One of the best presents that I could have received. Susie Matheson, sales trainer, founder of The Small Stuff, You don't want to miss episode number 11. Thank you so much, Steve. You, thank you. We appreciate you. And uh, Ed, just thank you so much. We'll see everyone on the flip side next Wednesday, October the 4th. Bye for now.